Morning, everybody. So, uh, we started last week <clears throat> talking about discipleship. For those of you who weren't here, uh, Jesus calls all of us, oh, it's still cold, to be his disciples and to make disciples. And uh, um, if you weren't here last week, we did the intro last week. And uh, I explained that I can't see anymore. So my eyes go on. I found out that you can get contact lenses that are dual and, and I've applied for some. So hopefully this, this, this isn't for long. Okay. Um, today, what I want to give you uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit is hope. Hope and motivation and expectation. I want to try to impart to you a vision or sight of what's coming. I want to try to describe it to you. Um, to describe two destinations that all of us can arrive at. I, I'm going to try to focus on the one, on the better one, uh, if I can. Uh, but there might be some of the other one as well. I want to try to give you some insight, some tips, some instruction as we stand at the, um, at the illustration, as we stand at the starting line of the race. And I know many of us are already running, and that's great. But, but for those of us who are new, those of us who, who have just started this journey of following Jesus or becoming disciples, I want to give you some insight so that you can make good choices along the way. Uh, I want today to hook you in, you know, like, like a, a Tesla car or an electric car. I, I want to plug you in to the power, into the power that's going to empower you to walk well, to, to run strongly and to get to the destination. The power that's going to give you freedom. The word that came to us today. The power that will give you freedom is what we're talking about today. And so listen carefully. It's the power of how to live a holy life. It's the power of how to live a life of love poured out for others. It's the power of how to honor God and how to earn rewards in heaven and how to obtain great peace in this life and great confidence for the life to come. So what am I selling today? We're at the starting line. And the goal for all of us is heaven. There is an alternative route, I've mentioned that, and that leads to a place called hell. These are facts. These are clear promises from the Bible, the Word of God. Now, yesterday, um, this week, as you know, I've been preparing for this, and it's changed my life. Uh, and I'll explain how. Yesterday, firstly, I went... Um, I took my son to his football match, uh, and we went to a place called Botesich. Is that? Is that? Okay, Botesich. It's near Edgemead, um, there, next door, right? And, and, and we went there, and, and it, was, it was a bit cold, you know, and muddy and stuff like that, and, and so I dropped him, and what happens with the football matches, you warm up for an hour, and then you play a match for about an hour and a half, you know, and, and so in the warm-up, you know, I was sitting there standing on, on the field, you know, thinking, what am I doing here? I thought, let me go get some coffee, decaf. And uh, so I looked on Google Maps, and I, and I searched coffee, and, and I saw Seattle coffee, and I thought, yes, heavenly coffee. So, so I went and got in my car and I drove and there's a, a food lovers market near it, between Botesich and Edgemead and, and they've got a Seattle on the side. So, so I pulled in there um, um, and, uh, and, and I walked over and as I saw the guy behind the till, my mind was full of what I'm going to be preaching to you today. 
because I'd been reading that morning and oh, the whole week. And, and, uh, and, and I saw him, and, and I did the strangest thing, you know. So I, I bought a, a tall coffee, yeah, um, and, and he asked me, okay, how much is it? And I said, no, it's, it, oh, no, I saw. It says 40 rand, you know. And then he says, would you like to leave a tip? And to, I must confess, usually at Seattle, I don't leave a tip because, you know what I mean, like for the service, like it's like two seconds, yeah, make a coffee, yeah. So, so maybe it's the wrong way to, you know. So, so I, I normally I'm, I just know. And then I felt the Holy Spirit, eh? So I said, yes. And it says, how much? And I put 40 rand. I thought, what am I doing? So I pressed enter and I looked at him. And he looks at the thing, he looks at me, looks at the thing again. He says, so I think you made a mistake. I said, no, no, I didn't make a mistake. He says, no, no, but you, you put a 100% tip. I said, yes. And now I'm, I'm getting full of joy because I realize, okay, God's going to do something. And so he says, okay. <laughs> put in your phone number anyway. So I put in my phone number and I, and I get my coffee, you know. And now everyone's looking at me because everyone's like, what's, what is it? what's with this guy, you know? So I'm like, hello, morning, my name's Lucas, how are you? Yeah, and so I met them, all three of them there, yeah? And, and the clients behind me are kind of checking me out, yeah, like, who's this guy, yeah? So I go and I wait for my coffee. I'm like, should I say something, Lord? He says, no, wait. So I get my coffee and I go and I sit outside in the cold and I'm drinking my coffee and yo, the joy of the Lord is all over me, you know? And I'm just like, and, 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 and I'm thinking about this stuff that we're going to hear. Because normally I go to Seattle and I leave. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would you stay? So I sat there in the cold and there's people, yeah. And, and then as I finish my coffee, there's no clients. And so I go back. I'm like, hi. Now they're all, hi. <laughs> and I said, do you know what happens at the end of this life? And they were like, no. And I got to share the gospel with them. And I, uh, yeah, anyway, it was amazing. The other thing that happened yesterday, and this is how I know I'm changed. We had my wider family around for lunch. It was Layla's birthday party yesterday morning, and then the family came around for lunch. And normally, I don't know about your family, but in my family, you know, Family visits can be interesting. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And so what I generally try to do is I try to, you know, eh, be friendly. Yeah, it's wonderful, you know. Yeah. And, and, then, and then I kind of try to excuse myself kind of because of something urgent, you know. So I, you know, and, and I go and read, read my Bible or whatever. Yeah. But, but it, I don't, there's not much love in me. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's been you know, a long time, you know, since, you know, anyway. 20 years or so, you know, I mean, and, and they don't change, and they, you know, they're same, yeah. And, and I'm sitting at the table, and I know it's the worst thing I can possibly do, but it comes out. Hey, you know, while we're having lunch, I want to ask, why don't we each say what we think heaven is going to be like? And Annie looks at me. Yeah? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Three hours later, they've all shared, well, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, all these different ideas. And, you know, and, and some of the things were vague and kind of hopeful. And I, one of the guys like, I don't like to think about it, you know, because, you know, I can't imagine anything worse than an eternal church service. Some were like, I don't think we can know. Others are, the Bible doesn't say anything about heaven, you know. Others were, you know, I don't think we're supposed to know, you know. Um, and it reminded me, I don't know if you've ever seen, do you know Gary Larson, The Far Side? There's a cartoon, and, 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 and he's, he's, he captures these misconceptions about heaven. Um, there's a man with angel wings and a halo, and he's sitting on a, on a cloud doing nothing with no one nearby. And he's got the expression of somebody who's on, on a marooned desert, you know, um, uh, with nothing to do. And the caption says, I wish I had brought a magazine. 
And I realized many Christians share the same misconceptions about heaven that my family did. And with this lack of clarity about the destination, can I ask, what do you think the chances are of actually getting anywhere in the race? If we don't know where we're going, how will we ever get there? Imagine asking the people starting the Comrades Marathon. You know the Comrades Marathon? It's an ultra marathon. It's about 90 kilometers, um, which is run every year between uh, 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 Durban and Peter Maritzburg. Okay? And, and it's, the, it's the world's largest and oldest ultra marathon race. Imagine you go to them and you say, excuse me, you know, as they're starting, you know, they're dressed, they're ready to go. Excuse me, where are you headed? And people saying, it's a vague, I'm kind of hopeful we're going somewhere. I don't like to think about where we're going. I don't think we're supposed to know. I don't think we can really know. I dread the thought of thinking about the destination. Would you get any of those answers? No, you wouldn't. Because if they had those answers about the destination of the race, how many do you think would prepare to run? How many do you think would put in the effort to wake up every morning for a year to train in the rain, in the snow, in the whatever, there's no snow here, cold rain? Yeah. And, and if they didn't know where they were going, how would they dress? Do you think they would be in that, you know, running stuff? You know, why not mountain gear? You know, why not retail therapy gear? Shopping mall clothes? Why not, you know? How many would finish the race, 90 kilometers, if they had no idea where they were going? How many would persevere to the end? So, just before I describe the destinations, which I'm hoping we'll still do today. You know, I asked Joe, can I preach from the beginning of the service? He said no. So, yeah. I was hoping to have two hours, but before I describe it, I want to explain to you in some detail why I want to teach you about heaven. And it's found in 2 Peter chapter 1. Can we put up 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4? And it says this. So this is the, the, the ESV, and then I'm going to read you the, the NLT version. And it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you have the New Living Translation as well? Can you put that one up, please? And I'm going to read that to you. Is this the New Living? Okay. And it says, Okay, that's wrong. That, that's a different New Living. You can just switch it off. It's fine. Okay. So, let me read you the New Living. Okay. It says this. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Remember the word? Freedom. So by his power, God has given us everything we need to live in freedom, to live a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. 
And because of His glory and excellence, He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in the divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires or fleshly desires. Okay, so can I, can I um, summarize that for you? Because it's difficult. I can tell you I spent almost a day looking at those, that paragraph, trying to figure out exactly what it meant. So I understand. Everyone's sitting here looking a little bit like, okay? That's okay. Let me try and help. Auntie Haley, I love it. Okay. God, by his power, has given us, past tense, not will give us, has given us everything, which means all, which means completely, fully, everything that we need for living a godly life. Or the other version, the ESV says, for life and godliness. Okay, so God's power by his divine power, he's already given us everything we need to live a godly life. How many of us are living godly lives? Put up your hand. Okay, good. Do you notice the hands weren't like this? They were like this. Okay. I understand. We're kind of living a godly life. And then it says, how? How has his divine power given us everything we need? And it says, by coming to know him. The ESV says, through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And, and so the, the power is there, and the channel to get the power into our lives to become godly is by getting to know him, by knowing him, by coming to know him, through our knowledge of him, okay, who has called us to something. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. And then it says, by these, he's given us his precious and very great promises. Okay? And so now, this is the, the content of what's coming down the channel. As we get to know him, which is the channel, we get his promises, which are very precious, and they are very great. So that... When we understand the promises and believe them, we are empowered to escape, to become free from the corruption that's in the world due to fleshly desires. The Apostle Paul speaks in the Romans chapter 6, and he says, Oh, um, miserable man that I am, um, I, though I know God's law and, and I love it and I love Him, I, I find myself doing the opposite. I want to do what's right and good, but I end up doing what's opposite. Oh, the sin that lives within me. Who will deliver me from this body of the flesh? And here, and then he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Here, Peter is saying the same thing. He's saying the way to escape corruption, the way to escape sin, to escape the pull of the world around us is by knowing Christ and by knowing his promises. Are you with me? What promises? And I'm going to be speaking about some very specific promises today, which are promises about heaven. Okay? And you'll see why it's going to enable you to speak to your family at lunchtime about God when it's otherwise intimidating to do so. Okay. The next scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And this is important because Jesus is our example of using promises and knowledge of God to overcome great adversity. And let's read it together. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and let me pause there. At the moment, today, in this service and in your life for the rest of your life, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Okay, did anybody watch the rugby? Uh, the first one. France, okay. How many people were in the stadium? 
I, I think it was 78 or 69,000. 65,000. Okay, cool. Right? 65,000 people. Is that a great cloud of witnesses? Uh, not really. I mean, that's a, a small crowd of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses means everyone who has ever lived, probably who is either in the current heaven or in the current hell. I'll get there. I'll explain that to you. Okay. Everyone is watching. Plus, in heaven, in the current heaven, there are millions upon millions of angels all watching. You know when you do something and no one's watching? Jesus tells a story, and he says, in the story, there, not a story, he, he tells of something that happened. He says, there was a rich man who lived, and there was a poor man, and his name was Lazarus. Okay? Now, if you read around that, theologians will tell you, he, he told many parables, this wasn't a parable, this was real. That there was an actual rich man, and the poor man's name was Lazarus. And part of the argument they say about why it's not a parable is because Jesus wouldn't have given the poor man the name Lazarus because Lazarus was his rich friend. And so it would have been confusing. Why use Lazarus? You know, why not just say Gavin? Or, do you understand? So anyway, he tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man has everything he wants. And Lazarus is poor and he, he wants to eat the crumbs off the table of the, of, of, of the rich man. And, and the, the dogs are licking his wounds. And, and both of them die. And the rich man goes to the current hell. And Lazarus goes to the current heaven. And he calls it uh, Abraham's bosom. And there the rich man is talking to Lazarus and to Father Abraham who's also in the current heaven, who's part of this cloud of witnesses, okay? And you can see a lot about the current hell and the current heaven by what they say, because it's very revealing, that, that story. Uh, number one, you can see they're conscious. They're talking. Number two, hell is not pleasant. It's very uncomfortable. He just, he's asking, please, just for uh, um, Lazarus to dip his finger in water and put it on his tongue, which makes you think it's a physical place. Right? Because you don't have like a spiritual tongue that's hot that you want spiritual water and a spiritual... F it doesn't make sense. Okay? And they can see each other and they can talk to each other, but they can't go to each other because there's a great divide between them. And then when um, Abraham says, no, I can't send him, we, he, we can't come over the divide, he says, okay, but then just send him to my brothers. And so those people are aware of the people on earth. They've died, but they're aware. And he's saying, please send them to my brothers and that he would warn them that they wouldn't come here. And Abraham says, even if somebody rises from the dead and tells them they won't listen. That's quite a telling. And so the, it says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And listen to what it says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you see that language? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, now this is the most important part. Watch this. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that as you run, you won't get tired and sit down or faint-hearted and lose heart and stop running. Okay, he says, consider Jesus. How did Jesus overcome? He says, look at him. He, for the joy that was set before him, he fixed his eyes on the joy and he went through the worst suffering anyone can imagine. Not just the physical pain on the cross. He had the sins of the whole world put upon him. We can't imagine. Uh, we, we. So it's not just Peter 
who says that by the promises we can escape, we can become free. It's Jesus who through the promises of the Father said, if you will go, if you will lay down your life, I will give you a bride of all humanity and I will let you be seated above every name and every authority and I will make you ruler for eternity and I will give you, and, and there's more, I'm going to explain it now. So Jesus did it and he's our example and so we should do it. Then we go back to 2 Peter. We read 3 and 4. Let's go to 5 to 11 now. Okay? So we continue. And, and 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to 11 says, In view of all this, right? The fact that we can escape the corruption of the world. The fact that we can become like God. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Okay? Make every effort means work. It means work hard, okay? Uh, a quick illustration, because we, we, it's quite technical and I'm teaching now. Mike, come here, please. Okay? Okay, I'm going to push you back to your seat, okay? I, I would like you to, 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 to try and stop me pushing you. Okay, okay. Okay. Whoa, that was good. Oh. You're stronger than I thought. Okay. Okay, you see, I've got momentum on my side. You know, wait and, you know. Okay, that was good. Okay, so, so when I start, okay, now come back. Now I don't want you to let me move you an inch. Are you ready? Okay, go. Okay, I, that's fine. I'm going to hurt myself. <clears throat> He's young. Okay. Was it easy? Careful. <laughs> he had to make every effort. He had to put his back into it, right? To stop. And, and, and this is saying, there's a call to us runners that we are to put our back into it. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then it says, supplement or add to your faith. And I'm not going to focus on this, okay? Because there's too much we're trying to get across now. But it says, add to your faith knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, patience. And to patience, endurance. And to endurance, um, brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection, love for everyone. But then look what it says. It says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So he says, focus on the promises. Respond to them. And how do you respond to them? By adding to your faith certain things. We'll get to that. And if you add those things daily, constantly, then you will become more productive and useful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. How does God's power come to us? It comes through our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And so if we focus on the promises and we add to our faith goodness and, and brotherly love and all of these things, we will then become more productive in our knowledge, which means there's more power that comes to us because we have that knowledge of the Lord Jesus and of his promises. And then it says this, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. Forgetting, what they have been, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Now, I know what it means to be short-sighted. Not these glasses. No. These are long-sighted glasses, which means you can't see close. Reading glasses. Okay. I know it's a bit confusing. I'm short-sighted. I know it looks like, hey, you can see everything. But what you can't see is the very powerful contact lenses in my eyes. Okay? I went for an eye test this last week, and the lady said to me very cheerfully, your eyes have gotten a lot worse. <laughs> right? So I was minus five and a half and minus six and a half. Now I'm minus six and a quarter and minus seven and a half. Yo, I started getting worried. I said to her, how far can you go? Like... She said, no, the other day I had a little girl here and she was minus 26. I was like, okay, I'm, all, I'm doing all right. She said, yes, it's fine. You're old now. Your eyes won't change much more. <laughs> Thanks. I know what it is to be short-sighted. If I take my, when I don't have my contact lenses in, if I take my glasses off, okay, and something, you know, 
in, in the dark, at night, whatever, you know, I wake up and I don't have my glasses on and I can hear a noise or whatever. You know, I'm like, immediately, I'm looking for my glasses because I can't remember where did I put them, you know, on the, you know, and I'm knocking things off the table and, you know, because I can't see a thing, right? It becomes very blurry and hazy when you're short-sighted, okay? I'm so short-sighted, I'm kind of blind, man, you know, and I have to use the, 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 the tools that you, that you have that God's given you for finding furniture in the dark, shins, you know, right? When you're short-sighted, you lose focus, you, you, everything's blurry, you can't see the detail of anything, you, and so what this is saying is if we, now I can't read it. Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted, which means if you don't focus on the promises of God, okay, and you look forward, you can't see the goal. You can't see heaven. You can't see the new earth. You can't see the city of Jerusalem. We're going to talk all about them in a second. You can't see the glory of angels. You can't see eternity. You can't see the crowns. You can't see the majesty of Christ. You can't see the coming white throne judgments. It's not in focus. You can't see all these things. And so you live uncontrolled, unworried, unfocused, untrained, and, 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 and you go off the path easily because the only thing you can see is blur, mist, fog. And it says, when you look back, you can't see the cross. You can't see God's grace. You can't see the life of sin from which you've been saved. You can't see the, the fire of hell from which you've been plucked by a loving, gracious God. You're short-sighted or blind, and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Does that make sense? And then it continues, so dear brothers and sisters, work Hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Because if you do these things, you will never fall away. You will never get off the path. And God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that clear? Okay. Now, one last encouragement. Many people think, man, Lucas, you know, you're supposed to be talking about discipleship. Why are you talking about the destination or heaven or whatever? And the answer is because the Bible commands us to think about heaven. Let's just look at it together. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 1 to 4, and then verse 10 and verse 15 to 17. And it says, since you have been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Heck, what? All I've ever been told is I'm too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. There's no danger of that. In fact, what the earth needs is more people that are heavenly minded because those are the only people that will ever do anything good for the earth. Okay? And it continues, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. It says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Isn't that just what Peter said? He said, we can participate in the divine nature by believing the promises and learning about God. And here he says, put on that new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you were called to live in peace. And listen to this. It says, and always be thankful. For what? What do you mean always be thankful? Must I say thank you when, you know, Mike doesn't push too hard? Or, or thank you, oh, you got me a coffee, thank you. No, it's saying always be thankful for what's coming. 
Be thankful that for eternity you're going to be with God in heaven, in the new earth. I'll explain that. Because if we're not thinking about heaven, then there's not much to be thankful for. I mean, if you look around in the earth today, it's just pain and suffering and wars and torment and stock market crashes and, and corruption. And, yeah, I mean, you look at the world, there's not much to be thankful for. But if you look up, if you see the destination, there is so much to be thankful for. And then it says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Okay? I'm trying to play my part as a little part of the body today. Which is to teach on part of that fullness of the message of Christ. Heaven isn't everything. Okay? I, I gave them 200 scriptures last week on discipleship. These are all new ones. Okay? We'll get to those if we can sometime in the year. Okay? But, but, but this little part is really important. It says, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That means write songs, Anton, about heaven. Okay. Are we together? Can you see that the Bible commands us to think about heaven? To fix our minds on heaven? To, to set our focus on heaven? Okay, now we get to it. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Yeah, I'm doing well. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. You know, you get the hall of fame? Okay, so it's the hall of faith. And in verse 16, it says all these people, and he's talking about Abraham and Isaac and, and all the fathers and, and, and David and all, all the beautiful people of faith, Noah and, and, and uh, who's the guy who went to walk? Enoch. All these people died. No, Enoch didn't die. No, he went to walk with the Lord, to be with the Lord. Still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they, listen to this, saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads or strangers or, or travelers here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has given us glimpses of heaven in the Bible. And the reason he gives it to us is to fire up our imagination and to kindle a desire for heaven in our hearts. God tells us about heaven in his word, not so that we can shrug our shoulders or remain ignorant, but because he wants us to understand and to anticipate what's coming. There's a man called J.C. Ryle, and he said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Okay? I would rather say, I pity the man who never thinks accurately about heaven. Because some of us think about heaven, but our inaccurate thinking causes us to choose not to think about heaven anymore. Like the guy at our discussion yesterday. He said, I don't want to think about heaven, I don't want to talk about heaven, because I can't imagine anything worse than an eternal church service. If you think that that's what heaven is, you will never get excited about it. You, I mean, we enjoy worship, of course, and it's amazing and it's beautiful, but if it's for eternity, just that. I mean, it would be good, but, but we're thinking wrongly. We're not going to get our children excited about the right thing if we tell them inaccurate things or the wrong thing. The people in Hebrews 11... It says they went through 
the struggles and the trials and the things that they went through and they overcame because they were looking forward to the country that is a heavenly homeland. They knew something about heaven that empowered them to live and to become martyrs for Jesus. And this is something that really impacted me this week. Do you know there's 150,000 people a year today that are dying for Christ? 150,000 people a year. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I mean, I get up and I, you know, come to church in the rain. You know? Or maybe I have a few meetings in the week and so, you know, I, I, I give my time, you know? But if we said, hey guys, there's no church service here next week, but anyone who comes um, is likely to die. How many people would volunteer? And the reason is because we don't see the beauty and the benefit. And one of the reasons for our inaccurate thinking, okay, this is my last little uh, uh, side path before we read Bible and look at heaven together, okay, is the devil. Jesus said of the devil when he lies, he's speaking his native language because he's a liar and the father of lies. And some of Satan's favorite lies are about heaven. Revelation 13 verse 6 tells us that the satanic beast opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and to slander his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Do you see that there? Our enemy slanders or lies about three things. God's person, God's people, and God's place, namely heaven. Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He just needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And if we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not on the next one. And we won't be motivated to share our faith with anyone. You know, we've just had Jonathan Conrath here. And, and I remember all through my Christian life, you know, I've been taught how to share the gospel, you know. I've, I've been given little bands, you know, what would Jesus do or the four questions. Have you, you know, and that's all good. But oh my goodness, if a rubber band on my hand is my motivation for sharing the gospel, there's a problem. And the reason that we don't share the good news like we might or invite people, you know, it's wonderful to have the two visitors that we have today. It's beautiful to have you. But you hear what I'm saying? Everyone in this whole neighborhood needs to hear and the reason we don't have the motivation to bring people more, and please, this is not uh, a rebuke. This is, this is me. The reason is because we believe the lies of the enemy and we choose not to think too much about heaven. So let's look at heaven. 1 Peter, chapter 1, the same guy who wrote 2 Peter that we've been looking at. <clears throat> same Peter. And he says, verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And it says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. So be truly glad, he says. There is wonderful joy ahead. 
even though you must endure many trials for a little while. And then in verse 8 to 9 he continues, You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So let me um, try to give you an overview, if I can. I, I had put a whole section in here on how heaven is not our default destination. But I'm not going to talk about hell today. Um, we'll talk about it another time, maybe later. So, what will heaven be like? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul thought or felt that it was vital for us to know what happens when we die. And he says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And, and he continues in, in verse 17 and 18, and he says, if we are alive at Christ's return, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay, so let me give you an overview. The world started in the book of Genesis. Okay? There you have God and he creates the heavens and the earth. And he creates on the earth a garden called Eden. And it's a paradise. It's before any sin. It's before the fall of man. It's all very good, the Bible says. There's a garden, and in the garden are, are trees and animals that Adam must name and, and tend to. There's, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's another tree called the tree of life. And God is walking in the garden with man. And man was given dominion or stewardship of the earth. He was, he was made to be a steward of the earth. So that's the first stage or section of history. But then something very terrible happened. And the Bible calls it the fall or rebellion of man against God. God gives Adam and Eve some very simple, you may do this, you may not do this. And I won't go into the detail of it, but the devil tricks Eve and she takes and eats of the fruit that God said you can't and gives it to her husband and he does the same. Okay? And so man rebels against God. And so God banishes them from the Garden of Eden. He keeps them away from the tree of life so that they might not eat of it and live forever in that state. And in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3 it says... Uh, verse 17, and to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to the dust you will return. And it continues, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So you've got paradise, Eden, with God at the beginning, and then the fall. And, and the fall was the beginning of the section of history that we now live in. Okay? And I'm explaining that to you because at the moment there is a current heaven and a current hell. And then in the future there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And everyone who's in the current hell with the devil and his, and his angels will be thrown into an eternal lake of fire. Okay. I, I'm just giving you a little bit of context. 
The next thing that happened is there's the whole of the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes to pay the price so that we might be redeemed or bought back or restored to God. Okay? And then Jesus dies. He's resurrected from the dead. The first of many brothers to be resurrected. And the Bible promises that all of us one day will be resurrected. The Bible says that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers who will also be resurrected. Okay? And so the question is, when we die today, those who believe in God, what happens? Well, the Bible teaches that we face an immediate filter or judgment. And it's called the judgment of faith. And that decides, do we go to the current heaven or the current hell immediately when we die? Like Lazarus and the rich man. And, and what is in the current heaven? Jesus is there. God is there. The angels are there. All the martyrs who died for Christ are there. The book of Revelation talks about how they, they're dressed in white and they stand before the throne and they shout to him saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And it says, and robes were given to them and they were told to wait a little bit longer until the full number of the martyrs comes in and then Christ will come. Okay? And so that's the existing heaven. And the next thing that will happen, and, and the Bible doesn't say when it is, it says no one knows the time or the day, is, is that Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will not be the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but he will be Jesus the King, and he will bring the wrath and the judgment of God on the wicked. And the Bible says that he will slay all the enemies of God. And once he's done that, the Bible says that there will be a day which will be called the great white throne judgment. This is at the end of the old earth and it's right at the beginning of the new earth. And that is a judgment not according to faith, but it's a judgment according to works. And the Bible says that books are being kept, books of account. Every thought that we think, every word that we say, every action that we do are written down into books both those who believe in Christ and those who don't believe in Christ. And on that day, everyone will be judged according to what they have done, according to what, they, what is recorded in those books. Now, many of us think or thought wrongly that the only judgment we would face if we believe in Christ is the judgment of faith. Because the Bible says at the end of that um, white throne judgment, anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into eternal fire. And only those who were written in the Lamb's book of life are allowed into the new earth. Okay? But the fact is, is that both those who believe in Christ and those who don't will be judged according to what we've done. It's not a, um, a judgment that decides will we be saved or not. For those who believe in Christ, we will be saved, but it's a question of rewards. And so the way that we live as Christians matters very much for all eternity. Does that make sense? 
No one can qualify by living a good life to get into heaven. Only believing in Jesus is the standard. And all who believe in Christ and confess him will be saved and will go to the new earth and to the new heaven. Right? But all of us will be judged and we will be rewarded according to what we have done. And then, after the great white throne judgment, the existing earth and heavens will be destroyed by fire. And God will create a new earth and a new heavens. And then what will happen is the new Jerusalem, the city of God, will come down from the new heavens onto the new earth. And God himself will live with us forever on the new earth. Think about the Garden of Eden, a garden that God created that was perfectly good, no sin, no curse, no disease, no sickness, no death. Everything will be redeemed. Everything will be restored to the original plan that God had all along. And forever we will live with God on the new earth. And the Bible says that we won't need a sun or a moon for light, but God himself will be our light and will live with us forever. Okay. Now, that's just a very quick overview of history. Okay? In a few minutes. And uh, because there's no service next week, what I'd love to do is to read three scriptures with you, okay? If you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever, please would you open uh, to the book of Revelation. Chapter 20. And go to verse 11. So I want to just place us where we are in history, right? So we've gone past Genesis, we've gone past the fall, we've gone past Jesus coming and dying and rising again, we've gone past the church, and, 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 and now Jesus has come, and this is what happens. And it says, and, and I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's continue. Chapter 21. Just to warn you, we're going to read the whole chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. That's unfortunate for the surfers. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, 
like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Okay, just, just, we don't work with miles. So that's about 2,300 kilometers, I think. Okay, I could be wrong on the. So do you know how long one of those walls is? It's from here almost to Harare in Zimbabwe. Okay? Which means that the city on the new earth is bigger than South Africa, okay? the city of God. And it's interesting, it continues, then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. Uh, now, I didn't work that out. Is that 65 meters thick? Okay, that's a big wall. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was made was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with twelve precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh Jacinth, the twelfth, Amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I heard a story once of somebody who saved his whole life to get a, a bar of gold, you know. And then he dies and he goes to, to heaven and, and he arrives at the, at the pearly gate. You can see why they call it the pearly gate, right? And uh, Peter says to him, ah, I see you brought some paving. 
I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And one more chapter, verse 1 to 7, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires the prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Okay. I apologize for preaching so long. But I'm not sorry. I want to encourage you this week, um, go and have a look at Isaiah chapter 60 and Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. You'll be amazed because Isaiah the prophet writes about the same things that John saw in Revelation. These promises about heaven and we could get into what will we do on heaven and how will it work, we don't have time. Maybe another time. But read about it. Fill your mind and your heart with heaven. Because when we know that that is coming, then when Jesus comes to us and says, rich young ruler, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and you will have rewards in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Then it's an easy yes, Lord. But when we don't have heaven in mind, then it's too easy to get caught up with this world and its trials and its pains and not to run with perseverance the race that's set before us. Amen.